Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our message is the Gospel lesson read earlier, along with the Old Testament. But we're especially going to focus on the second question of the lawyer, and who is my neighbor? You know, there was a comedian uh, a couple decades ago, Bill Engvill, who had a whole routine built on the dumb questions that people ask. He'd set up a scenario, like you're on the road, and you're changing a tire, it's raining, you're wet, you're tired, and someone comes up and asks you, do you have a flat? To which you just want to respond, no, I like rotating my tires in the middle of the night on a rainy road. <laughs> or, or another example is of a truck driver who gets a semi wedged into, uh, under a bridge, and the police officer comes up to him and says, are you stuck? To which the guy without missing a beat says, no, I was delivering this overpass and I ran out of gas. <laughs> it, it works, right? Because we do ask dumb questions, right? Obvious questions. Well, this whole routine came to mind when I was reading the gospel lesson. Because the lawyer asked two questions. Now, I'm not saying that the questions he asks are quite as dumb as the ones that I just gave an example. But they are two questions that are rather faulty. They're faulty in their logic. And we see that right away with the first question, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see the logical fallacy there? Think about what inheritance is. It's a gift. There's nothing you do to receive an inheritance. And then the other part of it, theologically, how do you get eternal life? Do you earn it? Can you earn it? No. So the whole question is faulty. And we've so often spent a lot of time on that question. I want to, this morning, to focus on the other question. The question that he asked, who is my neighbor? Because that question, if we examine it rightly, is just as faulty. And we're going to see that, that Jesus points out the fault of this question by really coming around and changing the question. But we need to recognize that not only does the lawyer ask this question, but you and I often ask this question. And we need to see how our Lord comes to us and changes the question for us as well. So we come to the Gospel lesson, and Jesus has a lawyer come up to him and ask the question. As I said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And he quotes, love God, love neighbor, do this and you'll live, Jesus says. But then we're told that the lawyer then wants to justify himself, and he says, well, who is my neighbor? This is a flawed question. Please understand why he's asking the question. Because he wants to get the definition of what a neighbor is. Because he wants to define who is it that he has to love, right? But there's a reason behind that. Why does he want to know who it is that he has to love? Because if there's a group over here of people he has to love, well, then there's a whole group over here that he doesn't have to love, right? If you can define neighbor in such a way that there are some people that we have to love and some people we don't have to love, then life gets a little bit easier. And it fits our human nature. And there's really some faulty theology behind the question that comes from this lawyer. Because the, when he answers Jesus, first of all, by quoting, love God and love your neighbor, we, we heard the text for love your neighbor today in our Old Testament lesson from Leviticus 18. And, and in that, though there is, when you come to verse 18, just prior to saying to love your neighbor, um, the quote is this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. And then it says, and you shall love your neighbor. And many of those in Jesus' day took that to be a definition of who the neighbor is. 
Notice the first part says, don't hold a grudge against two, the sons of your own people. And in Hebrew pluralism, they say, well, okay, if, Nate, if, if you don't have to hold, don't hold a grudge against the sons of your neighbor, when Jesus says, love your neighbor, it must be just the sons of your own people. And so, if it's the sons of your own people, all you have to do is love the people that are like you. And so he would be justified in not loving those who are not part of Israel. Top of the list of Samaritans. Quickly after that, the Gentiles. And they would even include those Israelites who don't really follow the law the way they should. And so he's got, the, the, he doesn't have to love everybody. And it fits his human nature, right? Because we don't always want to love everyone. But what I'd like to put forward to you is that not only does the lawyer ask this question, but you and I want to ask this question as well. Who is my neighbor? Now, now we do think of ourselves as loving people, right? If I were to ask you, are you a loving person? I'm sure everybody here would say, oh yes, I'm a very loving person. And, and, and I love people. The, all the people around me, my family, my friends, I love them. And so I am a loving person. But we've got to follow that up. Do you love everybody? Is everybody easy to love? That's where the struggle comes in, right? It's really easy to love those who love us. And that's really kind of how we think love should be, right? Well, I love those who love me back. And so, therefore, I'm justified maybe if they aren't very loving to me. Do I really have to love them? We start kind of defining who it is that we don't have to love. Because that's the way the world looks at it, right? That's the way the world sees love. Love is a reciprocal thing. You love those who love you. And you also have to be careful about your love because when you're courageous in loving others, it does take courage. Because you're stepping out when you love others. Is your love always really well received? Not received by everybody. And isn't there a danger that if you act in a loving way or you give to someone in a loving way, that they might actually abuse your love or take advantage of your love or misuse your love. They might take what you have given them and use them for something entirely different. Maybe even something you don't approve. And so therefore, wouldn't you be justified in not loving them? Because it's just going to be misused or abused or not received. And then the other one. Are there people in your life that hurt you? There you're really justified in not loving, right? If they've hurt you, then you have every reason not to love them. See, that's, that's the way our human nature works, isn't it? It's not just our human nature that works that way. It's the world and our culture that works that way. The world gives us that idea of love. You love those who love you. You love those who are like you. You, you don't reach across the aisle. You don't reach out into different groups. You, you stay within your group and love them. And, and the world reinforces what our human nature wants to do. It's, it's a big struggle to, to hear then our Lord say to love our neighbor and realize, you know, he's talking about everybody. He doesn't have the definition that we have. And that's the point he tries to get across as he tells the parable, right? The, the man asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, in pretty typical Jesus fashion, tells a story, right? He tells this parable. Parable about the man who's wounded going between Jericho and Jerusalem. The Levite passed by, the priest passes by, then the Samaritan comes, and he's the one that helps. And Jesus, at the end of this parable, turns the question around. Listen to the question Jesus raises at the end. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus is telling the lawyer, and he's telling you, this is the question to ask. The question isn't, who is my neighbor? The question is, who needs me to be their neighbor? Because isn't that what the Samaritan did? The Samaritan didn't come across the man and said, okay, what group is he in? Is he in my neighbor group or my non-neighbor group? Can I pass by or do I have to help? No, what did he see? He see and saw a man who was in need. He needed a neighbor. He needed someone who would love him, someone who would act on his behalf. That's what the man needed. And so that's what the Samaritan did. He became a neighbor to him, regardless of who he was and regardless of who the Samaritan saw himself as. He simply became a neighbor to him. And really, if you look at that Old Testament lesson, that's really what was taught even by our Lord back then. Because the Lord in that section was not defining neighbor in some completely defined way. Look at all the people in that list who he calls on to show love to and compassion to. It starts with the foreigner, right? Don't lean over your crops. Don't go all the way to the edge. Why? Because the foreigner or the sojourner who comes through and the poor need that for themselves. He, he speaks about helping those who are oppressed, to, to, to not take advantage of others, of helping the servant, of being kind to the blind and being kind to, to the deaf. He's not narrowing who isn't to receive love. He's broadening it, if anything. And then on top of that, he does speak about the poor, but he also speaks about the rich. And he speaks about your brothers. It's very clear what the Lord is saying through Moses is that you are to love everyone who has a need. Love is given wherever a need exists. That's what you see in that passage from Deuteronomy. But that's the struggle, right? You know that's what the Lord wants of us, but, but how can we do that? It begins with understanding that we have been loved. Isn't it striking as you read through, if you go back over that Old Testament passage, at the end of each admonition it says, I am the Lord. They are to not glean because he is the Lord. They're not to speak falsely because he is the Lord. They're to not put a thing uh, away of the blind or the deaf because he is the Lord. And the people would then fill in the rest. The Lord who brought them out of Egypt. The Lord who was leading them to the promised land. I am the Lord. The Lord who has saved them. It's the Lord who came to them when they were a foreigner. Where they were enslaved. And showed his love and compassion. Now, he says, show that same love and compassion to those that you see in need. You were in need and I intervened on your behalf. Now, when you see others in need, you can share that love. Because that's what it is. The Lord doesn't command, can't command us to do anything that he hasn't already given us. He gave the people in the Old Testament love, and he has given to us love. And it's this love that we share. And if we look at the parable of, of the Samaritan, we see here really a picture of Christ's love for us, right? We're, we're like that man beaten and left half dead on the road. We can do nothing to save us. We're, we're completely helpless. We deserve nothing. But God in his grace and mercy, like the Samaritan, comes and intervenes. And he does so at great risk to himself, and he does so at great cost to himself. And, and he does so not holding anything back. He gave up his life for you so that you would have life, so that you would be forgiven. And, and he comes to you today and announces that you are forgiven and loved. 
Well, whatever sin it is, whatever failure to love there is, whatever guilt or shame you might feel about your failure to love, it's been washed clean. Our wounds have been bandaged in the Word of God that cleanses our heart and forgives us. And so fills our heart that we can't help but share that love with others. And that's what we do. Jesus says at the end, go and do likewise. Isn't he saying to the lawyer, you have received love, go forward and give love. And that's what the Lord says to you. He's equipped you. He's equipping you today. Now, it's not easy always. It is, as I said earlier, a courageous thing to go out and to give love. Because there are going to be some who look down upon us reaching across aisles and reaching out into other groups. There are going to be some who may even reject our love. There might be some who misuse our love or misunderstand it or be suspicious of it. All those things are possible. But we do it not for our own approval. And we do it not for the approval of others. We do it because we've already been approved. We've been loved by God. And the whole plan is God's to so fill our heart with love, but we can't help but do it. Having been helped in our need, we can't help but see someone in need and respond in some way, because we know how important it is. We know what it feels like to be loved. And we want others to know that feeling. We want others to know that they are loved. Think back to that routine of building law. Which are you? Are you the one asking the dumb question, or are you the one receiving the dumb question? You're, you're both, right, at times. But we're often the one asking the dumb question. Who hasn't come into the house and seen a spouse or a child or someone in the family opening closets and doors and everything else and then ask, did you lose something? Of course, we, we all ask the dumb question at times. But the beauty of it, so we shouldn't be surprised that even our questions to the Lord might be faulty. But if we look at this text, notice what the Lord has done. He's taken the faulty question and made it right. But isn't this what God does? takes that which is faulty and he makes it right. He takes our faulty love and makes it right. He makes it right with his love. He fills us with his love. A love that we give to him, a love that we share with one another, and a love that simply never ends. A love that builds us up and a love that is shared with others so that all might know they're loved by the Lord. Now may the peace of God which surprises all human understanding guide our hearts and minds through faith, life everlasting.